Good morning. You're listening to Morning Musings on Divine Mercy Radio with Matthew Hogan. And now, here's Matthew. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Morning Musings. My name is Matthew Hogan, and today I just really wanted to welcome Deanna Kerner, who is a local expert on saints and a former professor at Forhey State University from nursing. And we talked today a bit about the patron saint of Ukraine. So let's get right on into it. Who's the patron saint of Ukraine? Well, St. Josephat is a patron saint of Ukraine. He lived in 1584 and he died in about 1623. What's interesting is a very young kid, about the age of 15, he met with some Orthodox bishops that really wanted to seek union with the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. He was very supportive of this, even as a young man. And so that kind of simmered around. And then in 1604, he entered the Holy Trinity Monastery in Vilna, which is in present-day Lithuania. And for about five years, he studied there, and in 1609, he was ordained a Byzantine priest, and he became well-known as a preacher on unification. Well, that didn't sit well with very many people initially, but in 1617, he was made bishop of Vidibok, which is now called Belarus, which we know is being bombed like everything in the Ukraine right now. Then he became archbishop of Politok in Lithuania. Well, at this point, he had been doing a lot of preaching and talking about unification. Well, many priests and church members feared he would invite the Roman church to interfere in their church life. So a really heavy opposition grew to what he was saying. So this dissident group of bishops decided that since he was an archbishop of Politok, they wanted a new bishop. So they brought in a new bishop of Politok and for the surrounding rural areas. The new one was very strongly opposed to being any union whatsoever with Rome. And so Josephat supported the primacy of the Pope and felt the was the true leader of the church, whether it be the Roman Catholic or the Eastern Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh-huh. So in, 18, in 1623, Josephat was condemned by his enemies to the Chancellor of Lithuania, who was influenced by them, and then charged Josephat with resorting to violence on behalf of the Union of Rome. Josephat vehemently said, no, I, there are no allegations of violence that I've ever done. And he thus wrote a really a letter to the Chancellor denying these accusations. But Later in November, he went to Vestibach to defend and defuse the animosity of those proponents. For two weeks, he preached on the need for peace, but he was met with a whole era of thoughts towards violence that was about eventually to erupt. Because on November 12th, Josephat fell into a trap. He did lock up a priest, and in the readings I did, he locked him up in his house because he was doing, he was saying things about him that was viciously harassing him, and he just didn't want to put up with it anymore, so he housed in his home, and people in a mob outside of the area thought that's probably what he was going to do. So they were waiting for the moment he you know, put him in jail, so to speak, in his house. During the ensuing confrontation, Josephat was hit in the head by many times, many, many times, by an axe or axes. Because there was, I think I read somewhere like maybe 17 hits to the head wow. with regards to that. Then someone, Yes, and then someone else shot him. They took his mangled body, which was not only mangled and everything, but they actually, in one reading, 
meeting that I had thrown to the dock. And then they took his body and pitched it into the Dibina River. And they thought that's the end of it and everything. Mm -hmm. But after five days, his body emerged and was pulled to the shore. Now, I can't imagine that thinking about it, there would be much left there, you know, type (laughs) of thing after everything he'd went through. But all who saw it was recorded that were amazed at the incorrupt body. So the good Lord was working, you know, during those five days and bringing him to a state of incorruption. The murderers were sentenced to death and reportedly repented of their crime and became Catholics. In 1637, which is, you know, some centuries later, and in 1767, his casket was again opened and the body was still incorrupt, but the clothing itself had rotted away. Those who saw his body were amazed at the body being incorrupt and emitted, they said, a fragrance of roses and lilies. All those who happened to see the incorrupt body, it's recorded or stated, that converted at that time. I guess one of the things that amazes me about that particular saint is that, and I think we pray for this all the time, we pray for changes of heart that are truly what, you know, we want for maybe someone is away from the church or whatever, for change of heart for those individuals. And with his death, there were changes of heart. And those changes of heart, I really, truly believe are some of the greatest miracles because, Mm -hmm. you know, some hearts are so denying anything having to do with the church or anything. And so he is a good patron saint also, I would think, to pray to for the conversion of those who don't, you know, want to change their hearts back to the Lord or to the Lord. So thus, this is interesting. I thought I did not know anything like this. Thus, Josephat became the first martyr for Christian unity. And I thought, wow, he was a patron saint of Christian unity. And that's a massive dispute that goes back even five, six centuries before him, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The first saint of the Eastern Church to be canonized, this was St. Josephat, in 1876 was by Pope Leo XIII. His feast day is November the 12th, and he is now buried at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. He was several other places buried, but eventually his remains now are in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It's quite an honor for, oh, yeah. uh, for an Orthodox priest. Have you been to the Basilica at St. At Unfortunately, Peter? no. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. We actually got to go down to the crypt underground of St. Peter's burial. Yeah. It, it, you could spend days there, you know, type of thing to see everything. But it, it's, you know, he's he's there somewhere buried in the Basilica. We had, by his death back then, there was a strong movement to Catholicism and unity that really started to take over. But unfortunately, that controversy still exists today. You know, it hasn't come to its full, true conversion to being a union with the Roman Catholic Church. But in Christendom, I found some statistics that I thought were interesting. There are about 64% Roman Catholics of the, of the Christians in the world. 13% Eastern Orthodox and about 23% Protestant with the rest of the world 71% who are not Christian and I thought well you know you have the Muslims you have all these other faiths Buddha you know all this other kind of stuff that takes away from it but still there's so much work we got to do mm-hmm. if there's still 71% that are not Christian I strongly suggest to you one of the sources I went to was the St. Josephat Basilica in Milwaukee Wisconsin go on its website it's an interesting website. I spent a lot of time going through it and everything just looking and see all the beautiful pictures of that that basilica is something else. So it's one that you can easily go to. Well, then it had a link to Facebook. So I thought, okay, I'm going to jump on over to Facebook. And oh my gosh, there's so much more information about that basilica on Facebook. If I remember correctly, I believe it said that the basilica was built on the model of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Hmm. So you know it's got to be a magnificent structure. Plus the basilica itself has over 500 relics of saints. <laughs> I mean, you could spend days going through there 
there looking at all the various different saints and that sort of thing. And I really think that I, I kind of glanced through and, and went through all the pictures and everything that they had there. But one of them, when I came back to the very first picture of the relics that they had, it, you know, they're kind of at a distance. So I enlarged my camera so I could see that better. And right at the very front is St. Nicholas of Myra. His relic was sitting right there, you know. <laughs> and for that relic to be there in the Ukrainian St. Joseph Basilica Church, you know, there's a connection between the two, you know, type mm-hmm. of thing. And Well, they probably would have agreed oh, on basically yeah. everything. Yeah. And so anyway, one of the things I thought I'd also mention to you all is that there's another Ukrainian Catholic church in Rochester, New York. It's called St. Josephat's Ukrainian Catholic Church, and it's in Rochester, New York. And if you want to know even more detailed history about St. Josephat, you can go to their website. And I'm just going to give it to you kind of quickly. It's not a long one. It's O-S-A-P at rochester.com. That's O-S-A-P at rochester.com. It's really interesting to read. And another good source, if you're just wanting to look up a saint, to know about a saint, catholic.org is really good. And it has, there's, you know, there's books on saints and there's even a book that is put out in England by St. Augustine's Abbey there that is a dictionary of servants. They're not saints. It's called Servants of God, canonized by the Catholic Church. And this is compiled by the Benedictine monks of St. Augustine's Abbey. We will now return to the Sunrise Morning Show. 